Romans, it's been a good series so far. I, uh, I, I have just been so blessed by um, the other teachers. It's just, it's just been awesome. So uh, well done. It's been great. We're in uh, chapter 11 today. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, I just wanted to share, uh, ever since I had the privilege of studying in Israel for part of my uh, master's degree, my theological studies, um, I've been fascinated by archaeological discoveries and how they uh, point back to the truth. It's just been uh, become kind of a fascination with me. So I was extremely excited this week when a friend of mine sent me this slide. It says, the archaeologists have uncovered glitter still in the early church carpet from VBS held in... <laughs> yes, now if you have no idea why that's funny... It's because you weren't here when I used glitter as part of my sermon analogy when we were in week seven. But anyway, this is not really true. So you don't need to send me an email saying they didn't have glitter in one fit. I know. It's just a joke. So, all right, enough humor for, that's about all the humor I got today. Grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 11. I'm going to actually read verses 25 through the end of the chapter. Uh, We're in 947 in the Bibles that are under your seat. If you brought your journal, which I really hope you've been using those journals, I think it's just a wonderful addition to what we're doing. Uh, We're on page 52 of the journals. Uh, I say this every week, but it's important. Bring your Bibles with you. Bring whatever you're using to study at home. If you're using the journal, bring the journal. If you're using a study Bible at home, bring it with you. Uh, Underline key words, underline key phrases right in the margin of your Bible. It will help you. It will help you. Five years from now, when you go back to Romans 11 and you read that note, it's going to remind you of what you heard this day. It may not even be something I said. It just may be something that the Lord prompts you while you're in there. But interact with the Word of God. If you are looking up the passages every week, if you are doing this, you're just going to get better and better at navigating the Scriptures. So bring a Bible. If you're at home watching this online, have a Bible in front of you. Open it up and interact with the Word. We have spent the last three weeks covering what some would say are the most difficult chapters in the New Testament. Uh, Many would agree they're probably the most contested chapters of the New Testament. Probably not anything uh, more confusing than these other than Revelation. For the record, we're going to start Revelation in January and moving through that. So one person's happy. Um, But these chapters are extremely difficult. The fascinating thing as you study them is the last three chapters and 11, so these four chapters, these are the chapters that those who uh, fall into an Arminian sort of way of viewing Christianity, these are the chapters they would use to defend that. And those who fall into a Calvinistic way of viewing Christianity, these are the chapters that they would use to defend that. Those who believe in eternal security will go to these chapters, and those who feel like you can lose your salvation will go to these chapters. And so if you're not careful on a cursory just reading of, of Romans, especially these chapters, you feel like Paul is schizophrenic or, or he's self-contradicting. But we know that he's not. And I hope over the, the, this, this time that it's helped to bring some clarity into, into what chapter 7 is all about. But, but here's what I want you to hear. We get to the end of chapter 11, what I'm about to read, and, and Paul does what any good teacher does. He gets to the, so what? So what, I, I've talked about all of this complicated theology. What difference does it make? How are you to respond 
to all of this difficult theology. That's what Paul is sharing for us. But let's take a time. I'm just going to read verses 25 through 36. But I want to encourage you to keep your journals, keep your Bibles open, because we're going to talk about other passages within Romans 11. But we're going to read uh, verses 25 to 36. So would you stand with me as I read, starting in verse 25. Paul writes, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my very covenant with them. I will take away their sins. Verse 28, as regards, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that the, by the mercy be shown to you, they may also receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. I think we would all agree that's a little confusing. And so look what Paul writes in verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has been his counselors? And who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Romans. I thank you for this journey that you've taken us on as a church through this incredible book. I pray that you would continue to enlighten our minds and open our hearts to your truth. I pray that even in these next few minutes that you would speak through your Holy Spirit, that we, each person in this room, each person on this broadcast, myself included, that we would hear a word from the living God and that we would leave this moment different than we came because we have encountered you. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the freedom we have to be in this place to worship, to not be worried about this place being stormed by, by government. We have freedom of religion. I pray that we would not take that freedom for granted, that we would use that freedom and steward it to advance your kingdom in places like Morocco, where they could never gather like this and worship the way we just worshiped and listen to teaching the way we get to listen to teaching. Lord, help us not to take that for granted, but to realize that it's a gift that's meant to be steward. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So if you've been at Grace for very long uh, and listened to me preach, you've heard me say these words, context matters. It is imperative when we study the word of God that we understand the biblical context. What does the Bible as a whole have to say? I say this all the time, but the best interpreter of scripture is scripture. And what do the passages around the passage we're studying have to say? Context matters. As a matter of fact, almost every false religion that, that kind of 
has spurred out of the, the, the Christian faith, the religious sects, as well as all kinds of false doctrine, come from pulling a verse out of context and making it say what we wanted to say or making it say something that it was never, ever intended to say. So biblical context matters, but the cultural context matters as well. We need to understand what the passage meant to the original readers of the passage. And I would say if we don't know what it meant to the people it was written to, then we can never really know what it means to us. And so what we wanted to talk about is the, the, the context of Romans. The context of Romans is that Paul is writing to a church divided. And I talked about this, I think in week one is when I talked about it, but the church in Rome started as Jewish converts, really probably happened at Pentecost. Many of them were there. They heard the gospel clearly in their own languages. They went back to Rome. They, they began the church. And it, for the most part, it was a Jewish movement. But through political circumstances and the move of the Holy Spirit, the church has become more and more Gentile. And now we have these two people groups who see the world very different, have different worldviews, and there is a ton of conflict between these two people groups. They are a mosaic. Wow, you guys automatically say, I didn't even say that. Anyway, yes, they are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus, just like we are a mosaic. And in that mosaic, there is naturally going to be conflict, right? There's conflict around the law. What does the law mean? What is the, how are we supposed to deal with the law now that the new covenant has come? There's all kinds of conflict about Jewish tradition. What traditions are we to follow? What traditions do we not need to follow? Uh, this is the beginning of the church. And if you think about it, this has been a conflict within the church throughout the entire church history. There's been Jewish-Christian conflict throughout all of the, the history of the church, right? There's, there's disagreements about the, what, what the covenant means, who's really God's chosen people. Bad theology like replacement theology has come out of that. This is a, a big part of where the early church in Rome is. And if you read Romans just through that one lens, the lens of conflict, you began to see what Paul is up to. Right, You began to see how he is addressing conflict, but you can see the conflict in the type of questions that Paul keeps asking as we move through the book of Romans. You can almost feel the pride of the Gentile people saying, you're the ones that killed Jesus. You're no longer God's chosen people. We're the chosen people now. And Paul is writing to clear the air, if you will. He's, he's writing to level the playing field. And that's why he's, he keeps making it crystal clear. We are all sinners for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in need, desperate need of God's grace and his mercy. I hope you still have Romans 11 open, but look at verse 1. Paul asks a question. He does this over and over in Romans, probably more than any other letter. He begins with a question to start a new excuse me, train of thought. But he asks, has God rejected his people? And he responds, of course not, by no means. After all, I'm a Jew. Paul says, I'm a Jew. I'm a follower of Jesus. God hasn't rejected his people at all. And then Paul says, God is saving for himself a remnant of people, and that that remnant is going to be made up of both Jews and Gentiles. But then he writes something that we, that we need to see, and it's worth noting, about that remnant that God is saving. Look at verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, so 
two, at the present time, there is a remnant, both Jewish and Gentile remnant, chosen by grace. But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What's he saying? You can't earn it. You didn't, you didn't do anything for it. It's completely an act of grace. Stay with me here. This is huge. Remember, Paul is leveling the playing field, if you will. We're all a mess. We all need God. We all need God's grace. And so Paul does something fascinating. He goes all the way back to the beginning language that he used in those opening chapters. If you were here, you remember we talked about Paul contrasting faith versus works. Remember this? And he uses Abraham as an example. And he says, how was Abraham saved? Was he saved because of something he did? Or was he saved because he had faith and believed? And he said, no, of course not. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And this is the way it's always been. He even talks about circumcision. Was, was it because he got circumcised that God showed him favor? Or was it because he believed and then the circumcision came afterwards? Works didn't do anything. What Paul is saying in those earlier chapters is it's all about faith. And it's always been all about faith. The law cannot save anyone because no one can keep the law. But now he's using that same sort of language of, of comparison, but he's not comparing faith and works. He's comparing grace and works. And he says it doesn't have anything to do with works. It's all about grace. The law never saved anyone. It's always been about grace. Faith and grace. So throughout human history, there has always been a group of people that God has called into the fold, that God has brought into the fold, right? Those people become the remnant, Jews and Gentile alike. They are in, don't miss this, not because of, of anything they did and not because of, of anything they worked out in their own mind, but they are in only because of God's grace, the application is if you are here and you have faith in Jesus, it's all about grace. If you understand and accept the gospel of Jesus, it's all about grace. It's an act of grace. There's this great story that's captured in the, in the book of Matthew. If you remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're, they're off alone. and There's been all, all these big events going on. And people are, the, the, the whole towns are clamoring about Jesus. And he asks them, who do people say that they am? And they give him a whole bunch of answers. And then he asks the poignant question. He says, who do you say that I am? You remember this story? And Peter answers, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks Peter in the eye and he says something pretty profound in Matthew 16, 7. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, that's Peter, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the Father who is in heaven. Jesus is making it crystal clear. Peter, you are not smart enough to figure this out. Don't give yourself any credit. Don't break your arm patting yourself on the back because you saw the miracles and you listened to the parables and you figured out who I was. The only reason you know who I am is because God revealed my identity to you. It's all about grace. If you're here this morning 
if you're listening online and you understand, or if you are even beginning to understand the gospel, it's an act of grace. As a matter of fact, the scriptures tell us that this whole thing about the cross and the gospel and Jesus, that it's all foolishness to those who are perishing. So if you understand anything that we've been teaching in this church for the last 11 weeks on Romans, if it makes any sense to you, if you've had those moments where you're like, oh, I get it, you didn't figure it out, it's an act of grace, right? God is the one who reveals truth to us. It's all about grace. And why is this relevant to the conflict and to the context of Romans? Because the gentle child of believers are arrogant. They're like, like we're, more, we're smarter than you are. We're more spiritually attuned. We're more astute. We, we, we see things that you can't see. Look, we're better than you, right? There's, there's pride and there's arrogance. And Paul is saying, look, you only know what God has revealed to you. It's all a matter of grace. And then he says something in light of this truth, that everything you know about God, everything you believe about God, every, every act of moment of faith that you have in God is an act of grace. Then he says something that I think on the surface, if we just read it without the context of Scripture, is incredibly unsettling. Look at verse 8. And then we're going to look at verse 25. He's basically saying the same thing in those two verses, but using different language. Verse 8, he says, as it is written, God gave them, them here is the Jewish people. God gave them, and you could say some of them, a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that wouldn't hear, down to this very day. And then look at verse 25. I don't want you to be unaware of the mystery, brothers, brothers and sisters, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. God gave them a spirit of stupor. God hardened their hearts. On the surface, this seems incredibly unfair. Right? On the surface, we would say like, like God just randomly thought to himself, well, I'm going to mess with these people now. Right? I'm... I, I'm going to close their ears and harden their hearts. But we have to look at this in the context of the biblical narrative. God has been calling his people for centuries. God has been showing up in incredible miracles, right? God has sent all of his prophets. God sent his very son to proclaim the love of God. It's not like one day God just decided to flip the switch. God has revealed himself over and over. But here's the truth. They, some of the Jewish people, and again, I want to emphasize some, they, some of the Jewish people could not hear because they would not hear. Do you get that? They could not hear because they refused to hear. They resisted God. They disobeyed God. And over time, doing that had created calloused ears and a calloused Heart. They cannot hear because they would not hear. And when you see this theme played out in Scripture and you see it in other places, it ought to, in your mind's eye, you ought to see a, a huge warning sign because this serves as a warning for all of us. This is a corporate warning and this is an individual warning. This is a warning for our country. 
This is a warning for Grace Community Church as a local church. This is a warning for every single one of us. Anytime we or you, anytime you refuse to hear the promptings of God, when you consistently resist what the Holy Spirit is saying, or you willfully engage in a sinful activity, you run a very high risk of becoming calloused and hardened. Our ears, even as followers of Jesus, in our disobedience, in our refusal of listening to the Holy Spirit, our ears can become calloused. Our tender hearts can become hard. We can become spiritually dull. Sin never reaps a profit. It always has a cost. And one of the costs is a calloused heart and an inability to hear the voice of God. This applies to believers as well as unbelievers. The writers of Hebrews says to, to the believers, do not harden your heart. Some of the Jews, they cannot hear because they would not hear. But there is this profound mystery in this, right? Like when you really dig into Romans and you really think about it, God knew that this is how they were going to behave. God knew this is how they were going to respond. Yet they are completely accountable to God for the way that they respond. Let me say that again. God knew how they would respond, yet they are completely responsible for their individual response before God. There's a mystery in that. That can drive you crazy if you, if you try to figure all that out, and we'll touch on that in a few minutes. And there's an irony. Paul is making it clear in chapter 11 that the Jewish lack of response, positive response, is for the Gentiles' benefit. Because the Jews rejected the gospel, the gospel has come to the Gentiles. And in turn, we, most of us in this room, Gentiles, have the opportunity to accept and live out the promises of God that were originally intended for the Jews. We don't replace the Jews. We are grafted in, but we get to experience Jesus because of the Jews' rejection of Jesus. But then he says something profound. If you go back and you look at it, he says, here's the deal, you Gentiles. The way you live your lives, the way you honor God with your lives, the way you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be the very thing that the Jewish people see so that they too come back to Jesus. It actually says they will become jealous of what you have and they'll want it for themselves and it'll be part of this movement of Jews coming to Christ because of how the Gentiles live in the power of the resurrection. Paul writes in verse 19 that the Jews were broken off so that we could be grafted in. But then he says, so don't become proud. Remember? Pride is a problem in this divided church. Don't become proud, but fear God. What does that mean? Have reverence for God. Honor God. Be good stewards with your faith that he's entrusted to you through grace. Live a life worthy of being a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, Paul writes, Note then, what is he saying? Like, pay attention. Take note, right in the margin of your Bible, this is a good thing. Take note of the kindness and take note of the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but is 
kindness to you. Take note of God's grace towards you. But don't ignore God's severity. There is a price to be paid when we reject the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. <clears throat> Chapters 8 through 11. Some tough ground. Some deep, difficult theology. I hope that over these last few weeks, some of that has become clear to you. But the question for this morning is, what are we supposed to do with all of this intense theology? We spent several weeks diving into difficult chapters. Again, I hope it's clearer at this point than it was when we started. But what difference does it make? What difference does it make in our everyday walk with God? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you five implications of chapters 8 through 11. The first implication is be humble and stay humble. Humble yourself. Faith and understanding. If you are coming more and more into the understanding of the scriptures, it's, it's not because of me and the way I preach. It's an act of grace and the Holy Spirit. Every time you pick up your Bible, pray this prayer. God, I am not smart enough to figure this out. Your mysteries are beyond my ability to understand. Would you, through your Holy Spirit, make these words clear to me and then read? And when you have that moment that you understand something that you've never been able to figure out before, when it becomes clear to you what the scriptures are saying, stop and humble yourself and say, God, in your grace and in your mercy have revealed truth to me. Don't break your arm patting yourself on the back because you figured something out that someone else couldn't figure out. Humble yourself and stay humble. It's all about grace. Remember, we deserve nothing but death, but in God's grace and his mercy, he saves us. Wake up every morning and remind yourself that you live in an era of grace, that you live under God's grace, and then be gracious with everyone that you interact with. The second implication is that we are to share Jesus with everyone. The best part is share Jesus with everyone and leave the results up to Jesus, right? You don't have to be clever. I love that Kevin preached on the, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But some of us don't want to bring the good news because we're not a theologian, because we're not a pastor, because we're not a preacher. Because, look, if Jesus has changed your life, that's all you got to share. Like, just say to your friends, say to the people you meet, can I just tell you how Jesus has changed my life? And, and tell them, and it doesn't matter if you can't really walk them through the Romans road, right? And I can tell you, look, I've learned this over time. When I'm talking to people, people are more interested in how Jesus has saved my marriage and, and redeemed my relationship with my kids than, than my ability to walk them through the Romans plan of salvation, Right? And, and the truth of the matter is, our responsibility is just to share, but we're not clever enough. Right? We, it's not our job to convince people. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convince people. It's the Holy Spirit's job to reveal truth. Share Jesus with everyone. Leave the results up to God.
There was a moment in time several years ago when I was running Eagle Sports and we had a chance to take a whole bunch of kids on a bus. Actually, we took two buses to Branson, Missouri to a camp called Kids Across America. Wonderful experience uh, for a lot of the kids. It was the first time they'd been out of the city of Detroit and we get to camp and we spend a whole week in camp and, and you know, the, we, we're praying for the kids. We're having a blast it's like a sports camp and uh, we get to the last day and they have something called crosstalk on the last day. It's where they share the gospel, clearly. And uh, we spent all day as uh, the mentors, what they call kaleos, they're fasting and praying for our kids. We had a big prayer meeting before the kids went. And we all show up for this evening and they do a reenactment of the crucifixion and then they share the gospel. And then they had a guy come up and give the message. And I've never found a polite way when I tell this story, but the message was terrible. I mean, it didn't make any sense. I couldn't follow what he was saying. I'm pretty sure it was theologically questionable. <laughs> Right? And, and I was becoming more and more angry. I, we invested a ton of money to bring these kids to camp. And this doesn't even make sense. And then he gets to the end and he says, Jesus has changed my life. And if you want Jesus to change your life, would you just come down here and let us pray for you? 90% of the kids got up and came down front. It was a movement of the Holy Spirit like I've never experienced anywhere else. I mean, kids were, it was amazing. Guess what? It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Like, I think God did, I think God confused that guy just to teach me a lesson. Like, it's got, <laughs> it's got nothing to do with how clever I am. It's got nothing to do with how clever he was. If the Spirit wants to move, the Spirit moves. And after a terrible message, all he says is, if you want Jesus, come down here. And those kids run to the front. And we, had, we stayed down there for hours praying over kids and praying with kids. It was amazing. Look, share the gospel and leave the rest up to Jesus. Number three, don't get sidetracked in theological debates. It's not a coincidence that after, after four of the most difficult chapters, Paul writes, starting in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselors? Who has given a gift to God that he might repay? For for him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Sometimes the mystery of God throws us off the path. Sometimes we get so caught up in conversations about election and predestination and eternal security, God's sovereignty versus free will, that we lose sight of what's important. It's all about Jesus. It's all about grace. Look at verse 33. How search, unsearchable are God's judgments. How inscrutable. I didn't know what that word means. So I had to look it up. It means impossible to understand. How impossible to understand are God's ways. And he says, who can know the mind of the Lord? Who can be God's counselors? Who is God indebted to? The answer is no one. Look, it's important that we study the word of God. It's important that we study the book of Romans. It's important that we look at these theological truths and get as much understanding as we can. God actually desires to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom to you. That's what the scriptures say. God desires to whisper the mysteries of the kingdom to you, but you will never understand all of it. 
It is beyond our ability to grasp everything about God and the kingdom of God. And don't let that bog you down. Don't let it throw you off the path. Be humble, share Jesus, don't get sidetracked, and lay down everything for Jesus. Everything is in play. I'm not going to talk about this one very much, but a little window into chapter 12. It starts with Paul writing, I appeal to you, therefore, after everything I just wrote, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Give everything to the one who gave you everything. Include your money and your talents and your time and everything. Put everything in play for the kingdom. And then the last one is worship. Let the holiness of God move you to worship. Let the mystery of God lead you to worship. Let the grace of God lead you to worship. Let the love of God made clear in the, in the coming of Jesus and his death and his resurrection lead you to worship. Every time you open your Bible and a passage makes sense to you or you listen to a pastor or preacher and it makes sense to you, worship because that's the Holy Spirit revealing truth to you. When you share your story with someone and they come to faith in Jesus, worship with that council of angels that worship because someone else has come into the saving knowledge of Jesus. God is beyond our ability to fully understand. But that's a reason to worship him. He wouldn't be much of a God if we could comprehend everything about him. He desires to reveal his secrets to us. Let that motivate you to worship. We get a chance this morning to come to the communion table. Uh, for those of you who probably have heard me say this every time, I love communion. I love what it represents. I love that it's a moment in time for us to stop and remember Jesus. To remember his life, to remember his death, and to remember his resurrection. Without simple reminders, we forget profound truths. And so we have a chance to come to the table. If you haven't got the elements and you just want to jump out of your seat and come down and get some, that would be great. There's actually some gluten-free elements here for some that, that want it, but feel free to come down and get it. Uh, we're going to give you a couple minutes. The scriptures say that before you come to the table, before you take communion, that you should examine yourself. So we want to just give you a couple minutes to do that. To just prayerfully consider, what do I need to leave here and what do I need to take with me? Are there, is there sin in my life that God wants me to repent of? Do I have bitterness in my spirit? Do I have unforgiveness that I've been harboring for a long time and God wants you to just let it go? So you examine yourself and then I'll come back up. We'll take the elements together and then we'll sing a song.
For those of you who are new to this, there is a little wafer in the top and the juice underneath it. Scriptures tell us that on the night that Jesus betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you take it, remember me. It says in the same way he took the cup, Elijah's cup, the cup of sacrifice. He said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. It's a new covenant. And every time you drink it, remember me. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember, not just intellectually, but deep in our souls that we would remember that it's all about grace. That you came... You died and you rose again and you revealed that truth to each one of us that believe in this room. Help us to worship you unencumbered. I pray that you would use this moment to bring healing to the body, emotional healing and physical healing. Something supernatural would take place in the taking of the communion elements. In Jesus' name, amen. The scriptures say that after they had taken the meal, they sang a hymn. So John is going to lead us in singing. So why don't you stand and sing with us. people that prayed for you before the service started they meet a half hour before the service you're welcome to join them in the chapel 
for prayer, but this is what they heard. that the, There are some who need guidance about trusting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We would love to sit with you and talk that through with you. Some that are talking about joining the church or using their talents for church ministry, we'd love to pray with you over that as well. Someone with some left wrist pain, right eye issues, and diabetic issues. If any of that resonates with you, we'd love to pray for you. If you have a physical, spiritual need, there's a couple numbers on your screen. If you're online, you can just dial those numbers. I'll put you into a private Zoom room. Uh, if you're here in the building, you want to just come down front. There's people who are trained that would love to just pray with you and for you. I want to remind you that you can get your tickets for Christmas online. Uh, they're $5 each, and that would be a great way to do it. And you can buy the devotionals back at the information counter. And if you're 18 to 30, young adult, and you want to come to the Friendsgiving tomorrow, they would love to have you. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Come back next week as we get into Romans 12. <coughs>